There we go. There we go. There we go. And so this new series uh, is it's going to help us be empowered to keep Christ and his kingdom at the center of our everyday lives. It's going to challenge us to live authentically in the power of Christ's forgiveness and provision. So the main thing we all know, we talked about it last week from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things that you spend so much time worrying about, all these things you spend so much time thinking about how you can accrue more of it, more money, more clothes, more houses, all that kind of stuff. Jesus says that seek me first and all those other things will be provided for you. And so we, we learned that last week when we, we talked about kingdom things. And, and this week I want to point us to righteous things. Because he says seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so I don't want to leave you without an understanding about what his righteousness is and what that means. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6 again today, and I'll be in the first verse. That's it. But Pastor, you only preach one verse at a time. (laughs) Listen, it's so much in there that I've got to take my time. But Genesis, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Hear these words of our Father. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Father, we pray by your Spirit, Lord, that you would bless this, your word. God, I I pray right now, God, that you would speak to us, Father, Speak clearly and fluidly to us, so Father, that we might understand with clarity and that we might walk away from here transformed by the word of God. God, I'm just old school enough to believe that the word still works and that the word still has power and that the word is able to transform our hearts and to awaken the deadness of men's hearts. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to us today. Father, I pray that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer and who I place all my trust in the whole church said, amen, amen. A psychologist by the name of Dennis Prager, he conducted a 15 year study. With high school students in this this 15 year study, he says this, he says, it's no wonder that after 15 years of asking high school students throughout America, whether in an emergency situation, they would save their dog or save a stranger that the majority of them responded that they would save their dog. Now, I don't want to be on nobody's toes today because some of y'all love y'all dogs. The study was conducted to see what the moral compass was of the individuals who were in this who were in this study to see whether or not they were guided by a sense of morality or whether they were guided by a sense of their feelings. The majority of them responded by saying, I would save my dog because I love my dog. I don't love that stranger. The dog is not a human. 
The dog is not created in the image of God. But yet most people would go and save their dog because they love their dog. In other words, they had a, a, a feeling about their dog that guided their morality and dictated to them how they should conduct themselves when it came to doing what was right. And if we're honest, most of us are guided by our feelings when it comes to doing what is right over against being guided by the word of God to stew what God has commanded us to do. And so we are oftentimes guided by the, 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 the feelings that we feel. And, and what is right is oftentimes redefined by what an individual feels. See, the feelings that we have oftentimes supplant the righteous principles and moral guide of God in our lives. It's funny that we allow something that's so fickle to guide us in how we are to conduct ourselves. We drive it down the road and the person in front of us is driving slow. And, you know, at first we don't get angry because we're godly and we don't press on our horn that hard because we love Jesus. Uh, and we certainly don't say any choice words while we're riding behind them because we love God. But what happens is, is that we start to get angry and something starts to come over us and our feelings start to rise up in us. But as we get closer to the scene of the accident, we then notice that it's one of our family members who's on the side of the road. What happens to our feeling? It quickly changes. It quickly changes from anger to one of fear in which we want to go and see about our family member and take care of them. So our feelings are fickle. (laughs) Why in the world will we allow those things to guide us? And so I want to submit to us today that keeping Christ as the main thing means seeking true righteousness over your feelings. I'll say that over here for the people on this side, that keeping the main thing, the main thing and pursuing Christ means pursuing true righteousness over your feelings. See, we are so caught up in our feelings, like we're so caught up in, in how we feel about stuff and, and, and the way that we feel about things. Should, it, it ultimately guides our lives. It guides our decisions. It guides everything that we do instead of being guided By the scriptures and the word of God and his righteousness. So here's what happens here. I want want us to see this. Here's my first idea. I want us to understand that if we're going to pursue righteous things and and pursuing the main thing, then we have to have righteous priorities. Here, Here Jesus tells them, he says to them, he says, be careful. Now, when Jesus gives you a warning, you better pay attention. He says, be careful. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. This word for careful is a word that means to pay attention. It's a word that means to be cautious or to, to, to care about something, to devote your thought and your effort toward something. And so what Jesus is telling them here, he says, listen, you've got to be careful. He's letting them know that you have to pay careful attention and that you have to devote your thought and effort to the things that you do. See, oftentimes we just do what we want to do because that's how we feel. Y'all not going to be honest this morning. We, we do what we want to do because it's based on how we feel. 
We don't do what we're supposed to do and what we know we're called to do because it doesn't align with how we feel at that moment. That's why we jump into the DMs that we jump into. Because at the moment we feel something and we know that we shouldn't do it, but God, I just feel lonely. I need somebody to talk to. That's the reason why we pursue after the relationships that we pursue after with people that God says we shouldn't be pursuing relationships with is because we're guided by our feelings. That's the reason why we say that thing that we know that we weren't supposed to say to our spouse is because at the moment we were guided by our feelings and not guided by the commands of Scripture to be kind and gentle towards one another. It's based on how we feel. But Jesus says, be careful. Pay attention to yourself. Devote thought and effort to how you practice your righteousness. I want us to see this here, that this, this word here for careful is the same words that, that's used in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 15. To say, it says, be guard, be, it says, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. So I would submit to you today is that the practice of your own righteousness is being a ravaging wolf wearing sheep's clothing. I'll help you understand what I'm saying. To ravage means to to completely and extensively damage something with severity. And so when we pursue our righteousness versus the righteousness of Jesus, we cause severe and extensive damage to the witness and message of Jesus Christ. See, when you go and you just go off on your boss because they didn't, they talked to you in a way that you didn't want to be talked to and you start fussing them out, guess what happens? Everybody around you who said, oh, I thought she was a Christian. She's talking like that. Well, see, what happens is, and guess what we do? We say that people can't talk to me like that. We stand on our own righteousness. We stand on our own sense of self where we think, yeah, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a child of God. And then let me go and talk to you like you're not one. That's what we do. But all the while we're pursuing our own righteousness, and he says to us that when we do that, we cause severe and extensive damage to the message and witness of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at what it means to, to pursue Jesus' righteousness versus pursuing our own. Is that okay? So here Jesus tells us, he tells them, he's arguing with them, he, he's saying to them, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Jesus is arguing because this word here suggests the word for practice means to produce something or to construct something. So in other words, when, when, when we, what we are doing is when we're pursuing our own righteousness, it's because we've constructed in our minds what righteousness actually is over against what God has said righteousness is. And so we construct in our minds our own ideas about how things work, about how things should go, and we submit ourselves not to the word of God, but to the word of self. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2 through 3, says this. It says all, somebody say all. 
all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. See, here's what we do. Oftentimes, we point to the sacrifices that we're making. We point to the sacrifices that we are making in order to do the simple thing that God called us to do. Parents, we're guilty of this. We say, don't you know all I've done for you? Don't you know all that I gave up for you so that you can play this and that you can go do that and you can do what you want to do and all this other stuff? And we get angry at our children for wanting something because we've sacrificed for them. We, we do that in our relationships with our spouse. Like, don't you know, like, I could have been with so-and-so. They had money. But I settled for you. <laughs> that's, that's bad. I hope no one ever said that to their spouse. That would be terrible. <laughs> we do that in the church. We say, well, I'm sacrificing my time to be here. God, shouldn't you now? Because I, as if your sacrifice is more valuable than your actual righteousness before him. See, we think that our sacrifice is more valuable than our righteousness. God doesn't care that you showed up to church one time for an hour and a half. He don't care about that. What's in your heart? God doesn't care that you that you're serving on a wonder team and that that you're helping and doing all this stuff. God wants to know what is the reason that you're doing that for? He sees your heart. Person's ways seem right to them, but the Lord weighs the heart. And doing what is right and just is is more acceptable than your sacrifice. We always mention in our sacrifices that we make in order to serve the kingdom of God as if that's more valuable than actual righteousness. I'm going to read this same passage to you, but I want to read it in the message. We got that up on the screen. I want y'all to see it. Boom. There it is. Nope, not yet. Boom. Okay, I'm going to go. It says here. Boom. Okay. We're working it out. Nope. Proverbs 21, verse 2. There we go. We're working it out. Look what it says. It says, we justify our actions by appearances. God examines our motives. See, we are so concerned about appearances. We're so concerned about how things look. We're so concerned about how people view us. And we're so concerned about that, that, that we don't consider how God views us in the midst of that because we're pursuing after our own righteousness in order to have people view us in a certain way. See, we got to stop doing that. We justify our actions like, well, you know, the reason why I said that was because, uh, you know, I, I didn't want anybody to think that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. But you weren't. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, we're all sinners. Like, we're all fallen. And guess what? The best way for you, the scripture tells us, is that confession is good. And so when we confess, guess what we do? We open ourselves up for healing. You'll never get healed if you don't confess. 
you won't get healed. So we praying all you want. God, heal me. God, heal me the situation. God, deal with the situation. God, turn it around. Change it. God, do it again. All the stuff we be saying. But God is saying, have you been honest about what is actually going on in your life? Have you been honest about the realities that have actually been present in your life that have caused you to be in the situation that you're in right now? But we won't be honest and confess. We, we justify our actions by appearances, by how things look. And so the reason why it's dangerous to practice our own righteousness is because the word here for practice is, can also be translated to be the author of something. And so the reason why that's dangerous is because most things that we author don't work out in our lives. Like, I want you to think about the, the, the past year. I want you to think about 2019 and think about the majority of the mishaps that you found yourself in and the majority of the things that have happened to you. And, and tell me who was at the center of all of that. If you're honest, you'll say, me, I was at the center of it. And, and when, we, when we try to author our lives, we ultimately write a story that's incompatible with the story of God who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So if we want to live uh, the the story that we're called to live, then we've got to stop trying to author things on our own and allow the handwriting of God to be all over our lives. How we do that? You got to be in your word. You got to know what the word of God says. You got to love the word and you got to live woven and be in community with other people who can point out stuff to you and show you where you've got blind spots and show you where you're bleeding and show you the places in which you, you need healing, you need stitches. Like, that's what we have to do. But we are the author of things and we, we try to make all the decisions based on, how the, about how, based on the story that we are writing for ourselves. But then he says here, I want you to see this. He says, do not practice your righteousness. In, in, in verse 33, he's going to submit to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Earlier here in this passage, he's arguing with them, don't seek after your righteousness. Oftentimes we have a righteousness for ourselves that we have authored that doesn't align with the righteousness of God. That's why we find ourselves in messed up situations is because we are trying to have people live according to the standards that we have set up for ourselves over against living according to the standard that God has for us. And so we live in such a way that we build up these standards of righteousness and, and we say these things about ourselves as if we're walking in this way so that so that we won't have to have anything bad happen to us. And, and we're guarding ourselves and all that kind of stuff that happens. But Jesus is telling us, don't live according to your own righteousness. I had a guy tell me one time, he's like, Pastor, I'm just going to marry this girl because you know what I'm saying? Like, Bible says, Betty married in the burn. And I'm like, that's true. But she's not a Christian. How are you going to marry her? Y'all don't even believe the same thing. <laughs> How can two walk together unless they agree? And so I, I was like, bro, that's, that's not good. He's like, no, but I'm trying to I'm trying not sin. I'm like, that's not going to help you. <laughs> you're going to end up in a further pit than, the, than what you're currently in right now if you do that. You think it's bad now? 
marry that unbeliever, you'd be in bad shape. But we construct things, we, and, we, and we say, like, oh, it's more righteous this way. We construct things in our marriages, uh, uh, standards in our marriages about how things should be done because it's the right way. Well, that's how you do it. That doesn't mean it's the right way. That just means it's a way. But we construct in, uh, these things and say, well, this is the right way to do it. And I don't know why you do it that way. I don't know who taught you that. Who raised you? But the reality is, is that, well, just because they fold the towel that way doesn't make them evil. Like, can, can they fold their towel the way they want to fold their towel? No, <laughs> they cannot. Because <laughs> there's a right way. <laughs> we pursue our righteousness. You know, that's what we do. But Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't chase your righteousness. So here's what righteousness is defined as. Righteousness is defined as correctness of thinking, feeling, or acting. More than that, righteousness is defined as the condition acceptable to God. See, we have a way of thinking that we think is right. But is it acceptable to God? We have a way of feeling about things that we think is correct, but is it acceptable to God? We have a way of behaving that we think is right, but is it acceptable to God? And see, when we have to ask that question, all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our insensences, all of our uh, self-evidences about things, all those things start to fall away when it comes to being acceptable to God. And so here's what true righteousness looks like. Y'all ready? Let's consider the context here of, of Matthew chapter 6. It's tucked in between Matthew 5 and 7, naturally, but it's tucked in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus's most powerful sermons. Some would argue it was his most powerful sermon. And chapter 5 contains the well-known Beatitudes. Anybody heard of the Beatitudes before? It's all those blessed are the meek and blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the lowly in spirit. That's called the Beatitudes. And so it's tucked in there. And Christ, guess what he understood? He, he's a great preacher. So any great preacher will, will, will tell you that the first thing that you have to do is know who you're talking to. You've got to understand your audience. And so Jesus was the best preacher of all time. And so he clearly understood who his audience was. So when he's speaking to them in this context here in chapter six, he's letting them know that there's a whole bunch of you out here who are pursuing your own righteousness over against pursuing the righteousness of God. And the reason that you're doing that is so that you can be seen in front of others, i.e. the Pharisees. They had so many addendums and additions to the law of God that it caused people to trip up and it caused a sense of arrogance inside of them that they were more righteous and holy than other people because they had the rabbinical laws that they were pursuing after. Things like you got to wash your hands seven times. Like, and that you got to wash your feet in a certain way, and that you got to bathe in a certain way, and that the cup's got to be washed in a certain place, and all these other 
ancillary things that they added to the word of God to pursue their righteousness. It wasn't so that they could be seen rightly before God. It was so that they could be seen before men. And all the time when we what we do is we build ourselves up in such a way that we want to be seen before people over against being seen before God. Guess what happens when you're seen before men? They talk about you. <laughs> you think you're doing something. You think you're doing all this extra stuff and, you, and you're building up this life and you're doing all this extra stuff for your righteousness so that people can view you in a certain light. But guess what happens when people view you and they can see you and when you're up front and all this other stuff, guess what happens? They talk about you. They say, who does she think she is? Some glasses. That hat. She thinks she's something. Ain't she from Wilmington? Matter of fact, I think she's from the west side, too. Ain't she from Riverside? Listen, they talk about you. The, 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 the things that you think are setting you apart are actually causing you to be a stumbling block before people. Just like the Pharisees. You set up these things, well, you know, it's a certain order to things, and, and I have to do things in a certain way because I want to honor God. And I, I, I can't spend, I can't spend time, spend, I can't spend my energy spending time with people because, you know, I've got certain things that I've got to do because God has called me to do this. No, God's called you to be with people. Things, you'll get to things. God's called you to be with people. And so you're like... Again, we start spouting out all the sacrifices we made. Like, God, I spent, I spent four hours talking to him. And he ain't even listened to me. I can't afford to do that. But maybe God used you to plant a seed in his heart that will begin the process of germinating to transform him into a new creation. But you're so worried about the fact that you spent four hours with him. But here's what happens. Jesus concludes his his. This sermon here, he says in verse 33, he says, all these things that you're going through, I want you to stop seeking after your own righteousness and, and seek after my righteousness. Don't do stuff to be in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father. Then jump down to verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, when you get before people, they talk about you. But when you're seen before God, guess what? He blesses you. How do I know? Jesus was in his hometown, and they start saying stuff like, ain't that Mary's boy? Ain't that the Joseph, the, ain't that the carpenter's son? Ain't he from Nazareth? <laughs> he think he's something. Who is he talking to? I heard teaching. Ain't he from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from the west side? That's what he said. But when he was viewed by his father, what does the father say? He said, this is my son and who I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so if you, if, if you want to be seen, uh, align yourself with the righteousness of God so that you can be seen by God more than you're seen by men. 
Because here's what he says in, 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 in chapter 5. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you want your life to be fulfilled, guess what you need to do? I just told you. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Instead of hungering and thirsting for right nowness. See, there's a difference between righteousness and right nowness. We pursue right nowness more than righteousness. We want a platform right now. We want a spouse right now. But yet we haven't aligned ourselves with that. Some of us have a J.G. Wentworth spirit. It's my money and I want it now. That's my husband. I want him now. <laughs> Jesus, I started giving to the church through tithing last week, and you haven't opened up a window of heaven yet. <laughs> you can handle him opening up a window of heaven for you. Because you don't have the character to sustain it. See, if God were to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you just because you tithe one time, guess what, what's going to happen? You're going to collapse under the weight of it. You don't have the structural integrity to be able to withstand that. You crying out for a wife, but you haven't prepared yourself to be a husband. And so when God, when God allows you to have what it is that you want, guess what you do? You end up messing up the whole situation because you weren't prepared to stand up and be a man and love and care for this woman. Because you crumble under the weight of it. Because you don't have the structure. You don't have the integrity. That takes time. We want it right now, but it takes time. That's why God takes us through suffering and difficulty in order to build up perseverance in us. In other words, he does that to build up a structure in us so that we'll be strong enough to withstand the thing that he's called us to. Matthew 6 lines out for us that oftentimes we deal with righteousness of self over against the righteousness of the Savior. And so here's what we're called to. We are called to pursuing after the righteousness of God and building his name and making his reputation famous over against appearing more spiritual before people. The Christian life isn't about us. It's not about our name. The Christian life is about lifting up the name of Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, when we lift up our own name, Jesus called it hypocrisy. Here's what we do. We go out. Verse 2, he says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets and on Facebook Live, giving your sneakers away to a homeless person. You do that to be applauded by people. He says, truly, I tell you that you have your reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We let the whole left hemisphere of the globe know what we're doing. <laughs> Forget our hand. <laughs> the whole half of the globe knows what we're doing. <laughs> I gave away 10 boxes of food today. <laughs> like, Okay, that's good. Then he says, when you pray, verse 5. 
you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by people. Some of us, the only time we pray is when we get in here. (laughs) Sometimes the only time we worship is when we get in here. Sometimes the only time we open up our mouths and sing songs for Jesus is when we get in here in front of people. But Jesus, he says here, he says, don't do that in front of people. Because truly, I tell you, you have your reward. But when you pray, go into your private room or your secret closet and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, what we oftentimes are pursuing is we're pursuing to be present before people versus being present before God. And if we're going to pursue the righteous things, then we have to have a righteous presence. The reason why some of us cannot pursue the main thing is because we're too busy pursuing the main stage. We want our businesses to flourish. We want to be the best at what we're doing. And all those things, uh, at an innate level, those are fine. Those are good things. God places those desires in in you to, to want to excel and to have expertise and all that. God will use that stuff. But what happens, the problem comes into place is that when you see that as a source of righteousness for you over seeing the word of God as a source of righteousness for you, you're not righteous because your business is successful. You're not righteous because your marriage is successful either. The only way that you are righteous is because you have submitted yourself and surrendered yourself to the word of God. And you've allowed the word of God to be the thing that guides you and leads you and not your feelings. So we, we can't pursue the main thing because we're too busy pursuing the main stage. We long to be in the presence of fame instead of being, instead of having a faithful presence before the lowly. That's what we're called to. And so he says, we do all this to be seen. And so Christ, he's speaking these words and he's, he's talking to the crowd. And so they would have been able to identify what he was talking about. There were a bunch of them who were boasting about their spirituality in subtle ways. And if we're honest, we boast about our spirituality in subtle ways, too. We say things like, well, the reason why I'm doing this is because, you know, it's God first, then family, then church. We talk like that. But what what, what the reality is, is that when we are aligning ourselves with the word of God, then at times it looks like there may be some crossover with some of that stuff. But God has called us to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the word of God, which at times causes us to be hospitable. And so what that means is that sometimes that person who came over to your house and they just needed to talk and now they've taken up all your time and you ready for them to go. God is saying, are you willing to be hospitable because you took up all of my time so that I had to go to a cross and die in your place for something that I didn't even do? But I did that because I loved you. And I wanted to display my love for you. And so if we're going to pursue the hospitality of God and his righteousness, then sometimes we got to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of others. We don't want to do that because it doesn't fit within our scale of righteousness and how things go. So we do all this stuff to be seen. The word means to be noticed. But the word also can suggest 
to put on a public show. See, we love to put on a show for people. We do. We love to put on a show for people. We want everybody to think that we've got everything all under control. We want people to think that we've got everything at hand and that nothing's out of place. There's not one hair on our head that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's what we do. We love to do that. What Jesus tells us is that if we would come and bear ourselves before people and actually be vulnerable and honest, then that's the pathway to true righteousness. When you just build up this veneer and make people think that you've got it all together, you're sinking deeper down into a pit that you can't get yourself out of. It's called pretentiousness. And that is a path away from the path of God. And it's a path away from the path of righteousness. I'll move. Isaiah 64 and 6 says this. It says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So all the stuff that you think you've got going on for you in the way of righteousness, God says it's like a filthy rag. (laughs) If you want to know what that means, come talk to me later. I'll tell you what a filthy rag is. But he says your righteousness is, is like nothing. You think you're doing something, but you're actually not. You think you're making a pathway and, and, and that, you're, that you're, you're setting yourself up to be viewed and to be seen as something, but you're actually not that. Your, your righteousness is a filthy rag. And so what that means is this. We have nothing to offer God. <laughs> like we have nothing to offer him. The only thing that we have to offer him is our obedience to him. And, and guess what? We need the gift of faith in order to be able to do that. And, and all of our, we, we don't have any righteousness at all. The only righteousness that we have is the righteousness that has been imputed on us through Christ. The word imputed is a word that means this. So imagine this. I take this and I place it over that. That's imputation. So everything that was on this has now been placed over that. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees the blood of his son that was shed for you, that was sprinkled on the mercy seat for you. And now you are viewed by God as righteous, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. That's the gospel. And so we got to understand that we got to walk in that. And so here's the last thing. We got to first, if we're going to pursue righteous things we got to have righteous priorities and then we got to have a righteous presence it's a presence uh and that will lead us to a righteous present he says here at the close he says otherwise you have no reward with your father in heaven the the word for reward is a word that means payment for services and oftentimes we think that we should be paid for what we do for God. Like, God, I did this, so now you ought to do that. God, I've served you, now you ought to show up for me. 
I don't like this situation I'm in, God, so now I need you to do something. As if we deserve some type of payment from God for living how he's called us to live. But he says here, he says that if you are seeking to be seen by others, you will have no reward with your father. The reward of seeking self is what? Self. When you, pers- when, you, when you seek the reward of self, that's what you get. You get yourself. But you, when you seek the reward of the Savior, guess what you get? You get joy. When you seek the reward of the Savior, guess what you get? You get peace. When you seek the reward of the Savior, guess what you get? You get joy. You get hope. You get love. You get patience. You get kindness. You get all these things that Jesus promises to us. So why are we constantly pursuing after self? I'm going to go back to this again, and I'm closing. Y'all can come. Matthew 5 and 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word for filled is a word that means to satisfy the desire of anyone. If you want to have your desires taken care of, hunger and thirst for righteousness. We learned that last week, Matthew 6, 33, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all the things that you worry about, all the things that you try to seek more of, it says that they will be provided for you. The word for fill is a word that also means to gorge, and that, and that just means to supply with something in abundance. And God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think in him. He'll do that. All we got to do is pursue the righteousness of God. That's all we got to do is pursue the righteousness of God. I'm going to close with this story. It says, how can a man trust in his own righteousness? It's like seeking shelter in your own shadow. Y'all see my shadow here? Pursuing your own righteousness is like trying to hide under your shadow. No matter how close you get to it, it's still under you, still beneath you. Even if you bend down all the way to the ground, your shadow will still be beneath you. But if you flee to the shadow of a great rock or of a wide tree during the heat of the sun, guess what you'll receive? You'll receive coverage and shelter from the rays of the sun. And I'll submit to you today that there is a rock that we can run to. And he's known as the rock of ages. He's known as the rock of Gibraltar. He's known as the chief cornerstone. And all of that is because there was a great tree on a hill called Calvary some 2,000 years ago where our Savior, he went and he shed his blood for you and me. And we can run to that tree. We can run to that cross. And when we run to that cross, we will be protected and we will receive shelter from the things that have been burdening us our whole lives. Stop running to your own righteousness to protect you. But run to the righteous one who was able to protect you. And his name is Jesus. 
if you were confused, his name is Jesus. Precious Jesus. And there's no other name that's able to deliver you. (laughs) There's no other name that's able to set you free. There's no other name that's able to impute righteousness onto you. There's no other name that's able to satisfy you. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. You can run to other places. (laughs) You can search all over like the song says. But you won't find nobody. They used to sing a song and said, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. And I'll submit that to you. That no one, no one in this whole world, nothing that you pursue after, no, none, no cars, no houses, no money, no, no, no women, no men, no, no, none of that stuff can do you like the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, like, what is this man talking about? <laughs> I want to submit to you the one named Jesus who died on the cross in your place for your sins. He died a death that we should have died. And he paid a debt that we could never pay. And because of that great reality, we we are now all gathered here to worship his great name because he has saved us from our sins. The scripture says all you have to do is confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he'll save you. So maybe there's one in here today and you're saying, listen, I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying. And, and my whole life I've been striving, trying to do things my way and try to live in my own righteousness. And, and it hasn't worked. None of that stuff has fulfilled me. And, and I just want to choose another way. Choose Jesus today. Choose him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in the room today, we want you to lift up your hand. And we want you to receive the gift of God. Maybe you, you, you haven't had a relationship with Jesus before, but now he's calling you. Now he's inviting you into relationship with him. All you have to do is place your trust in him. All you have to do is cry out to him and he will answer. So I want to pray this prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, listen to the words of this prayer. And if you want to respond to the gospel, just lift your hand and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know all that that means. I don't, I don't know all that that looks like. I just want to be a follower of Jesus. Father, we pray by your spirit, God, that you would deliver us today from the bondage of self. Help us not to walk in our own righteousness, God, but to walk in the righteousness that you have provided for us. And we know that that is from the cross of Jesus Christ, that we now have access to the righteousness of God. And so, Father, we confess that we're sinners, that we're in need of your grace, and that only through your blood were we able to be transformed from death to life. So, Father, change us, transform us, renew us, 
by your spirit and by your grace. Do that now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.